Welcome to the ABHA Listen and Learn Podcast, where we discuss the latest issues related to hearing and balance healthcare. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. Dana Day and Dr. Susan Schmidt. Hello, I'm Dr. Dana Day. And I am Dr. Susan Schmidt, and welcome to ABHA Listen and Learn Podcast, hosted by Arizona Balance and Hearing. And this is where we discuss all the latest and greatest advances in testing and treatment of all hearing and balance issues. Education is at the heart of our core values at ABHA. One, Dr. Schmidt and I take very seriously the education of both ourselves and mostly of our patients. That is why we are here today. And to that end, if anyone who is listening has any specific questions you would like answered on this podcast, please go to questions at arizonabalance.com. That's questions at arizonabalance.com. And we will be sure to answer them in one of our upcoming podcasts. Also, don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our awesome future episodes. So we're back in the studio, and um, it's really neat that in uh, Arizona, where we're in Phoenix, where we're in drought, we got a little bit of rain. Mm -hmm. So, boy, that's been nice. But now, you know, we didn't get a lot last summer, and so we had a whole kind of year and a half where we didn't have to deal with humidity, and now we have to deal with humidity. So I'm sitting there like with a patient yesterday and it's my, <laughs> the sweat is just coming down my face mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, okay, I know I'm not hot. What's going <laughs> on here? And I had to stop and think, but I, I'm not complaining. We need the rain so badly. I'm not complaining, but just but, in case any of our patients are out there and you've seen me and I'm sweating, it's not a hot flash. <laughs> Though maybe right. it was a year and a half ago, but it's not now. So, <laughs> Right. So um, it's funny with me is I don't feel the humidity unless it's really extreme. And so I don't know if that's because I'm from Michigan. Maybe there's a, a reason for that. Um, but everybody will say, hey, isn't it so humid? I'm like, I don't know, because I think it feels normal. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, not everybody feels it. Well, um, so, yeah. so, no. Well, you're always, you know, you're always cold. I'm always so. cold anyway, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if if you see me sweating, something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a medical emergency. <laughs> Call 911, folks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a look back um, at one of our previous um, podcasts. It was one of either our fifth or sixth. I can't quite remember. Do you remember? No, no. I don't okay. remember the exact number. So at that time, we discussed a movie that was um, up for an Academy Awards. Actually, it had uh, won two of the Academy Awards, Mm -hmm. but it had, I want to say, five or seven Oscar nominations. And so we were discussing it, The Sound of Metal. And um, I know it won several. One for um, the, I don't want to say music, but sound sound production which you really appreciated that right yeah because they they you know from scene to scene they would have scenes where um from the 
from the perspective of the person that lost his hearing, he could not hear anything any longer except for his ringing in his ears. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was pretty powerful. And then they'd switch back to, okay, this is what the world sounds like. And now, oh, this is what he is perceiving. And they would switch back and forth. And um, I thought that was great cinema. And I don't know anything about cinema. So... (laughs) Yes. So I, I, for those of you that haven't heard it, we actually had one of our residents on with us and she Mm -hmm. knows everything about cinema. (laughs) So she got so much more out of the movie than Dr. Schmidt and I got because we were just watching it and going, oh, but we mentioned at the time as audiologists, it was kind of hard for us to watch some of the scenes. Right. Um, And we also mentioned on that podcast the reason it was hard is the testing the surgery the implantation the going to paris a month later doesn't really happen that way and we really wanted to caution our listeners that the movie wasn't necessarily about the cochlear implants that the gentleman received it was more about his journey from where he was at to at the end where he, you know, is out in Paris and he takes him off and he's back in silence, right? right? So at that time, we had promised that we would try to get someone to join us to talk about what really happens with implantation. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to dispute the movie. Again, it wasn't about cochlear implants, but we want to set the record straight. And I do apologize. It's taken me so long to find somebody to join (laughs) us to talk about it. But um, we've got somebody here today. And I'm just so excited. Yes. Yes. We are very excited um, to have um, Dr. Emily Camacho. Um, She is an engagement manager from Cochlear Americas. Um, So her role is to provide patients and families with information about cochlear bone conduction hearing solutions and cochlear implants from the very beginning stages of gathering information leading all the way up to surgery. So Dr. Camacho obtained her AUD, which is a doctorate in audiology with a pediatric audiology specialization from Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis after obtaining a BS in speech language pathology and audiology and a Bachelor of Arts in American Sign Language slash deaf, deaf Studies at California State University, Sacramento. As a bilateral cochlear implant recipient, Emily is passionate about supporting the deaf and hard of hearing individuals throughout their hearing journey, promoting advocacy and access to better communication and raising awareness about implantable hearing solutions within the local community. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. This is so exciting. And we just met um, in person. We've kind of exchanged some emails, but we just met in person. And one of the things I learned about you, uh, which Dr. Schmidt just said in your bio, you Mm -hmm. are a bilateral cochlear implant recipient. That's correct. Which, um, I don't know about any of you in the room here, but I don't, I didn't know that. And I can't, and it's not obvious when looking at you. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of telling us your story and how you, um, made the decision to do implantation. Was that done as a child? Was it done as an adult? And also, um, what got you into audiology? 
Well, thank you for inviting me here. This is very exciting. Um, so my story really begins when I was about three years old, three and a half years old. And I had enough language to somewhat describe to my parents that something wasn't right. And I was bilingual at the time. And so I told my grandmother, who primarily spoke Spanish, you know, I, I cannot hear you. And I would say that in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so after doing some tests, I was ultimately fit with hearing aids in both ears. And I had a mild to moderate hearing loss at that time. And I'm the only one in my family who has hearing loss. So we just put the hearing aids on and I did really well. And mm -hmm. I live in a very rural town in Southern California. So I ended up being pretty, pretty set forward, you know, I didn't really need a whole lot of accommodations mm -hmm. or support after that. Like they just provided me what I needed. Um, as I got older and by the time I got to college in Sacramento, I realized I wasn't hearing as well. I needed a little bit more powerful hearing aids. And then as I was applying to graduate school, I had a sudden drop in hearing sensitivity on my right side. So what was, you know, a symmetrical hearing loss my entire life? something happened and I just felt very off centered. I did not feel like I was hearing things as well. And I didn't know where I was going to graduate school. So I held off for about a year and a half before proceeding with my right cochlear implant. Mm -hmm. So that was done in the summer of 2017. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through my graduate program for audiology, I noticed the progression of hearing sensitivity on my left side. So that was when I determined, okay, you know, maybe I need to do something better. Maybe I need to do something that works for me. And so I got my second cochlear implant. So on the left side in November of 2018, mm -hmm. and I've been doing pretty well since. So, um, I think my story and, and how I got involved with audiology was I wanted to help people like me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help people understand their options, get access to sound again, get access to language if they're incorporating some sort of visual supplement or what have you. Um, and while I was an undergrad, I learned sign language. So mm -hmm. American sign language and the deaf culture and community became a huge part of my life. And it still is to this day. Mm -hmm. So I think the incorporation of both worlds, um, being able to sign, being able to hear or access sounds mm -hmm. in the hearing world, I think that's the best of both worlds, at least for me. Yeah, so. that's wonderful. And how did you, being part of the deaf culture and going from a signer, if you will, um, I'm sure with within the deaf culture you still sign, but, um, you know, showing up to the party as a signer and then showing up with cochlear implants. Any problems with that as far as... Um, the perception of you going to the dark side or, or anything <laughs> like that? That's a great question. And, and that's something I often encounter a lot. So there's just a spectrum of people in the deaf community and people in the hearing community too. We have mm -hmm. people who are very accepting of just listening and spoken language and that is it. And that's okay. That's what works for them. And then you have people on the other side of the spectrum where it's only signing no devices or maybe hearing aids, even if they're not adequate, so to speak, mm -hmm. in terms of access to all of the speech sounds in speech and language. And 
that question comes up a lot because I think we've just evolved over time where we didn't have great technology like we do to this day. Like even hearing aids have evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, you've had body aids and you know, <laughs> because the batteries were too big and yeah. cochlear implants were the same way. And we only had, you know, a limited amount of opportunity to access these sounds via cochlear implants. And so I think things have just really evolved in technology to where even the surgery, like the surgical procedure is much more quicker than it used to be. It's an outpatient surgery now. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of misconceptions there. Mm -hmm. And I was not born deaf. I was not born profoundly deaf. Right. And so if I go to a party or a gathering when it's nothing but signers, Mm -hmm. culturally deaf people, and they notice that and they recognize that. I do explain that my my situation is not like everyone else's, just like theirs isn't. Mm -hmm. However, my what I'm accustomed to was having access to sound Mm -hmm. at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And I needed to get that part of my life back. Uh And so I think the signing and the culturally deaf community it really supplemented my life because I mm-hmm. felt like I was missing that sense of community. I was the only person my age that had hearing loss. So I felt like I was missing something. Sure. And so I think explaining that to people, it's really like an eye-opening experience. Like, wow, I've never thought of it this way. I just thought people were deaf and that's it. Uh-huh. And so it's it's kind of a teaching and a learning opportunity in Great. and of itself. Great. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've had over the last, you know, year, if you will, at least three individuals come to my office. And, um, you know, I always do the spiel, you know, I need to make you aware of all your options. And, um, and so I'll talk about someone who is a signer, who is profoundly hearing impaired, um, and I'll talk to them about cochlear implants. And it's it's really a hard sell sometimes, um, even though I can see the potential of increasing their quality of life. Um, any suggestions for, for those of us on the front lines of trying to figure out what's the best mm. way to approach this subject and and i say it would increase that's my perceptive perception Mm -hmm. and i really want to make sure that everybody understands that because if it's not their perception that's one thing you know but if they're a young mother and wants to hear their hearing or their hearing and speaking children you know i make the assumption because their kids aren't signing that that they would like to hear them, but that's my bias coming into it. So uh, that's, that's something that I've encountered when I was practicing as an audiologist. And that's something that I've tried to incorporate in my practice and saying that a cochlear implant is simply a tool. It's a tool that provides access to sound and speech and how that cochlear implant works for you will vary based on your type of hearing loss, how long you've been deaf for, if you've worn devices leading up until that point. So I always talk to it more as not trying to convince them, Mm -hmm. but rather 
just saying, hey, at the end of the day, when this processor comes off of your head, you are still deaf. Mm -hmm. I cannot hear anything when these are off. Mm -hmm. So they are a tool. Mm -hmm. And that's all that it is. Mm -hmm. If you want to have as many tools in your toolbox to succeed and do whatever it is that you need to do or want to do or choose to do, that is what the cochlear implant can provide. You don't have to do it. You don't need to do it. Mm -hmm. But if that's something you want to add to your toolbox, then that's something you should consider doing. That's usually what I say, even not just just patients or candidates that I encounter, but even my culturally deaf friends. Mm -hmm. They feel comfortable enough asking me that question. And they have a lot of misconceptions to this day too, which, you know, going back to the sound of metal, um, there were a lot of things that were a little bit outdated in that sense. But that is how majority of the people at least the ones that I've encountered, you know, friends and acquaintances along the way, that's kind of the misconception that it's still that horseshoe scar on the side mm-hmm. of your head, mm-hmm. your, and, and all of these other outdated ways mm-hmm. of thinking. So it's just an education piece. Yeah. I think sharing it in that sense would go a long way because you're not trying to fix or cure hearing loss. You're just providing a tool. Yeah. Great. Great information. So, you mentioned it. So let's let the uh, listeners know. What is the difference between a hearing aid and a cochlear implant? So there are a few things that are different between the two. So a hearing aid is amplification. It's providing sounds in acoustically, so amplifying sounds in your environment so that the hair cells in the cochlea, in the inner ear, recognize that there's a presence of sound in order to send it up to the brain to process. Mm -hmm. So with those hair cells in the cochlea, the more damage they have, the louder things need to be. So think of hearing aids as an equalizer. And I tell this to my candidates all the time. A hearing aid is just a very fancy equalizer that is fine-tuned to fit your specific hearing loss. So in that sense, when you are thinking about distortion and significant hearing loss, where it doesn't matter how things, how loud things are turned up, mm-hmm. it gets to a point where those hair cells are just not functioning like they should be anymore. Right. And so with the cochlear implant, it bypasses all of those damaged hair cells. And that a tiny electrode is inserted in the cochlea via outpatient procedure. Mm-hmm. And you wait a couple of weeks before it heals. But when the external sound processor makes contact with that internal device, it sends electrical impulses to stimulate the hearing nerve because the cochlea is wrapped around the hearing nerve and that's what sends the transmission up to the brain. So we bypass that damage via electrical impulse with the cochlear implant. It's sending a much more seamless amount of energy or sound in your environment in order for the brain to recognize that there's a presence of sound or speech in the environment. Oh, interesting. So again, just to recap, a uh, hearing aid is a tool to help with those hair cells, the inner hair cells, which we've talked about a mm-hmm, lot mm-hmm. Um, in the inner ear. And the cochlear implant is an electrical stimulus of the nerve, the auditory nerve, which is one of the 12 cranial nerves that we have that uh, takes information from the inner ear to the brain. And then the brain makes sense of the hearing. So yeah. again, we've always said you hear in your brain. So... <laughs> So this is another example of how to help that or how to accomplish that. Absolutely. Yes. Great. 
So going back to the movie, The Sound of Metal, um, the, dr- the drummer lost his hearing quite suddenly in both ears bilaterally, um, which is quite dramatic. Um, and that usually does not happen in real life. Um, and so in your case, um, and, and the uh, patients that you've worked with, um, what is the reality of how they lose their hearing? You know, is it slow? Is it fast? Is it unilateral? Is it bilateral? Is it at birth? Is it not at birth? <laughs> right. I mean, it can vary, but in this particular movie, you know, when we see musicians with hearing loss, it is a gradual progression over mm-hmm. time due mm-hmm. to the noise exposure. Right. And it typically is in, on the audiogram, it's in a specific region of that audiogram where you have mm-hmm. to turn things up louder to hear. That's typically related to noise-induced hearing loss. And there's a variety of different hearing losses like uh, presbycusis and things like that. So um, as you age you start to gradually lose the access to sounds in the high pitches. Um, so think consonant sounds, clarity of speech. Typically, if you are recognizing that you're struggling to hear in background noise, that is a sign you should get your hearing checked, mm-hmm. um, just as a FYI. Um, in terms of congenital hearing loss and things like that, it just really depends. You know, it can be a quick progression. I noticed mine within from the point of having that sudden hearing loss in my right ear, I don't know what caused it. And that can happen to very, like many people. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what the reason was. Um, however, I did notice in that year and a half, you know, leading up to the second ear getting implanted, I, I did notice a pretty significant decline. Even though my thresholds on my audiogram looked the same, the clarity of speech was no longer there. And mm-hmm. so it, it's really hard to pinpoint you know, for one person, what exactly is going to happen. We cannot predict what's going to happen. However, I don't think cochlear implants should be a topic of discussion at the very end. I think that's something that we could introduce when people start to notice more challenges, even with their hearing aids, so that they know that that's an option down the road if hearing aids are no longer beneficial. That's really interesting because um, in in my practice again I've had you know parents of children with mild hearing loss um, you know come in and say should are they going to need a cochlear implant because they or and it could be even adults mm-hmm. am I going to I'm not going to do I need a cochlear implant I'm, I'm deaf which you know I have to explain that very few people are quote unquote deaf <laughs> and there's degrees but so it's that perception that oh my gosh you know I'm going to lose my hearing everything's going to go away and I'm going to have to have this implant and I don't want this implant because frankly I think it's just a lack of education throughout the the hearing world if you will um, and I not only with audiologists, but um, with doctors that see these patients, ENTs, ear, nose, and throat doctors. But one of the things, you had mentioned technology and how it changes and how it's gotten better. And um, you're a young audiologist. I'm an old audiologist. Mm -hmm. So over the years, things have changed for us. What used to be the criteria for presenting a cochlear implant to a patient is no longer the case. So I, you know, when I first learned about cochlear implants and how to provide those within the practice, 
it wasn't with children. And then when they added it with children, it was they had to be two and up and they had to fail hearing aids. And yet we know that the development of speech is primary at about eight months to 14 months. And yet we can't implant these kids. And then it was you can only do one side. So, you know, bilateral implantation just wasn't a thing, you know, so. And it certainly wasn't a thing in that you get it all done at the same time. So tell me about the criteria. Tell our listeners about the criteria because it has changed. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said earlier, technology has changed. So that allows the criteria and the the FDA approvals to change. But tell us what they are now. So for this old audiologist here, um, I don't mess up. Absolutely. So you're right. Things have changed along the ways and the FDA and has continued to accept different proposals from people submitting changes in that criteria. So I I would expect things to continue to change in terms of getting that uh, insurance approval or, uh, you know, candidacy criteria. But if we have a older adult with bilateral sensory neural hearing loss in the moderate to profound range, when doing the cochlear implant evaluation, if their scores with amplification score below 40% in the best aided condition, that means optimally fit hearing devices in both ears and you are repeating back um, sentences and words, sentences and background noise, things like that. But if that score for those sentences and noise add up to be 40% or poorer, then that person is a cochlear implant candidate, according to the FDA criteria. So that's anyone who it falls under the Medicare Medicaid guidelines because they adhere to the FDA criteria for cochlear implantation. For pediatrics, it can be as low or as young as nine months, sometimes even a little bit younger, that they can get cochlear implants um, based on extenuating circumstances. So, for example, meningitis, so if they have ossification or a bony development of the cochlea following meningitis, then they are prone to getting that approval for um, pediatric patients if they are a younger Mm -hmm. um, pediatric patient. In terms of, you know, private insurance and things like that, it's less than or equal to 60% in the best aided condition. It's just hard to, and it can be confusing based on insurance and whether you follow Medicare, Medicaid and Mm -hmm. FDA guidelines. Sometimes you have a little bit more flexibility with the um, private pay insurance companies, but you have a package that you have to submit. Mm -hmm. You need to prove that you're a candidate for a cochlear implant. Um, Not everyone is a candidate. Additionally, the FDA approved cochlear implantation in adults with single-sided deafness, which means they have normal hearing sensitivity in one ear and severe profound hearing loss in the other that do not benefit from adequate amplification. So a hearing aid does not provide optimal amplification. Um, and, you know, they trial it, but that is still a recommendation that you trial a hearing aid um, before proceeding. Uh, but we just received that FDA approval um, for single-sided deafness. So I'm really excited about that. We're opening that criteria for people who really could benefit from our technology. 
You just mentioned something. I'm going to pop in really quick. And you mentioned insurance or Medicaid, Medicare. So just really quickly, um, insurances, if the patient qualifies, will cover a cochlear implant. And I'm just going to talk Medicare now. Uh, when Medicare doesn't cover any part of a hearing aid. That's always hard to mm-hmm. to convey to the patient. Um, why do you think that is? I think when you think of a hearing aid, it's providing it's providing access to sound. A cochlear implant does that as well. However, um, and I, I have been told this too by my own audiologist that you know hearing aid is not currently, unfortunately, deemed as a medical necessity, and so. A cochlear implant is, however, and I hope that does change as we, you know, we educate people in insurance policies and, you know, FDA and things like that. Um, So depending on whether or not your provider is considered in network with your insurance plan, Medicare, Medicaid, um, you would just ask your insurance company and you would provide them with some billing codes to say what is covered under that. And so you should expect to, after co-pays, deductibles, out-of-pocket maximum, you should not expect to pay more than your out-of-pocket maximum if Medicare um, covers mm-hmm. your cochlear implant with an in-network provider. So it can be tricky. Yeah, We do provide, at Cochlear, we have a step-by-step insurance guide that I really enjoy uh, providing to candidates who are interested mm-hmm. because... Not everyone has that money, you know, stored away. That it, right. it can be a pretty expensive surgery and, you know, initial costs. So I do provide that step-by-step insurance guide. And in that guide, it provides the billing codes. Mm-hmm. So when you contact the representative, if you say how much or is a cochlear implant covered, they're not automatically thinking it's a hearing device. So there has been times, there have been times where someone would call and ask, but the representative is not quite sure what type of device that is. Right. And so they likely, or, you know, from my understanding, they presume that it is a hearing aid mm-hmm. and those aren't covered. Mm-hmm. So differentiating between the two and, and helping our patients understand that there is a difference between the two. There is insurance coverage for cochlear implants. It's just a, you just need to do some investigation on your part. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that your insurance company won't approve it or does not cover it in those rare circumstances, we do have financial opportunities available to help support that. We have nonprofit organizations committed to providing that mm-hmm. access. So if your insurance says no and you've appealed it, we have other means of mm-hmm. going about that. Yeah. So I, I think the tech takeaway there is um, write your congressman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. Uh, of course, I tell everybody, why is, doesn't Medicare cover this? I don't know. <laughs> it makes, but like you said, it's it um, it's not considered a necessity, which I'm I'm not sure why that's the case, since you kind of need to hear things mm-hmm. in in a day to day world because we are we are a hearing world, we are an auditory world. And so you need to be able to hear it. Yeah. So going back to um, the single-sided 
deafness, right? So, um, so quite often I see somebody um, at the office that lost their hearing um, just in one side quite suddenly. Um, and so then, you know, obviously they go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor and then get evaluated and um, maybe get some steroid treatment um, to try to bring it back. Um, but take me through that process of, of what somebody would go through if that was you know, if that was the case, their, their one ear is still pretty good, maybe normal, maybe a little bit um, of hearing loss, and the other side goes out suddenly. Um, and then take me through that process of what it looks like for that person if they go to or towards that cochlear implant. Absolutely. So one thing to recommend, if you do notice a sudden change in hearing, don't wait. That is an urgent issue that could potentially be reconciled by steroid treatment, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, your primary care or an ear, nose, and throat physician is not available at that time, people recommend urgent care or going to the emergency room to ensure that it is, you know, acted upon immediately. Because sometimes with steroid treatment, that can recover. Um, it's not guaranteed. And again, it could be related to the etiology or the, you know, the cause of hearing loss. Um, but if you've done that and they do evaluate your hearing sensitivity to get a baseline. So if you've had normal hearing before and then all of a sudden that changed, they want a baseline before they start steroid treatment typically if they mm -hmm. can. So they'll do a standard hearing test. So you're raising your hand or pushing the button whenever you hear the beeps. You're repeating back words at a loud enough and comfortable level for you to repeat back. And if they are real or recognizing that you have typically around a 60% or poorer speech understanding score for a standard hearing test, that is when they would make that recommendation to do a cochlear implant evaluation. When you do the cochlear implant evaluation, it's, it's pretty time consuming. It can be quite lengthy. And so when you go in again, you're, you're wearing a hearing aid on that poor ear and you are repeating words back while you have that hearing device in your ear and sentences in quiet and in background noise. So you have to do this entire battery of tests. You have to trial a hearing aid for X amount of time, depending on your protocol in your clinic. Uh, and essentially, if you are not recognizing the benefit from a hearing aid, if steroid treatment isn't successful and you've done the cochlear implant evaluation and you've waited a few months, typically they wait to see if there is some improvement. And if that isn't successful, then you start talking about a cochlear implant um, as your next step. That would be the only device or piece of technology that can restore your ability to localize where sound is coming from more efficiently than what a hearing aid could, than what a cross hearing aid could do. And it helps reduce the or process sound and speech and background noise and hearing at a distance. So that is typically what people with unilateral or single-sided deafness um, report. All of those things are having difficulty. I can't find where sounds are located from anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't hear anymore in background noise. It's too overwhelming and I need to leave. Or I can't hear people at a distance even though I have normal hearing on this side. So these are things that a cochlear implant can help with. So I, I just wanted to add to that. So uh, when you say a hearing aid trial, so a cross hearing aid is acceptable as a hearing aid trial. Actually, no, it's not. It's, it's not. You want to aid that side. 
Okay. However, if someone is not yet ready for the cochlear implant uh-huh. or they want to trial other options, the what insurance recommends and what they look for is a hearing aid trial. You need to aid that ear. Okay. So we would need to, like you said, put a traditional hearing aid, if you will, um, or technology on that ear and see how they do. Correct. Because what the cross hearing aid is doing is it's just transmitting the sound from the bad ear to the good ear, Mm -hmm. but you're not really stimulating that bad ear to see what it can do. Correct. So the hearing aid would be the criteria or the recommendation for a cochlear implant evaluation. Super. And I have to um, reiterate what you said about if you have a sudden hearing loss, that is an emergency, period. We've said it before. We'll say it again. You need, that is an emergency. A sudden hearing loss is an emergency because the use of steroids, studies have shown really for it to be effective needs to start within 24 to 48 hours from the loss. Um, now, have we seen instances where they have come back later? Yes. Mm-hmm. But if you want the greatest potential for success, it needs to start 24 to 48 hours. That start meaning those steroids need to start then. So if you call your primary care or you call your ENT, you need to make sure they understand, I have lost my hearing. I need to see someone today. And if they say they can't, you can go to urgent care. Yeah. I would go to the ER and just say, I need to see an ENT. I have lost my hearing. Because the first thing they're going to think is, I, I mean, from a personal perspective, you know, you've got wax. You have wax, yep. cerumen. So just come in in a week and we'll remove the wax. Um, or an ear infection. Or an ear infection, yes. Yeah. But if you literally lose your hearing, you need to... You need that is an emergency, right? Agreed. And also, if you don't go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor, or you don't have access to them, if you go see a different type of physician, they might know they might not know the proper dosage of the steroid to give you. So uh-huh. um, that dosage dosage is really important. Um, and if you don't have the the right um, strength, um, it's not going to be as effective. Either. Right. So yeah. And normally, like your primary care, family practice, internal medicine, they have colleagues in the ear, nose, and throat arena, so they can reach out to them as too. But I know this isn't talking about cochlear implants, but I just wanted to use that opportunity to stress again, it is very, very important that you, um, there's there's not a lot of huge uh, emergencies in as far as with hearing, that is one of them. So Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So going back to that single-sided um, deafness, so one ear is pretty good and the other ear pretty much has a complete loss. Um, so if they do go to the, to the route of actually getting a cochlear implant on that side, so what do they, um, you know, what do they win back? What, what is the, what is the, feel of, you know, the cochlear implant on the one side and the normal God-given hearing on the other side? How does that feel to the person? A lot of them have reported, a lot of recipients have reported that they do gain that sense of localization. So if you're thinking 
if someone is coming from you at your right side or you hear a fire engine or, you know, anything that's coming from your right side, your poor side, I say right side because that was where I had my sudden hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, albeit I did not have normal hearing on the other side, but that was pretty scary for me because I felt like I lost my sense of where I was in my space. Okay. I kept turning to my left side, even though I had a hearing aid, I kept turning to my left side, even though things were on my right. And that can feel very disorienting for people. So when recipients who have single-sided deafness, they get a cochlear implant, they're reporting that that's a significant benefit. And listening in background noise, the way that they've described it and the way I've asked if this is how they perceive it is your brain just goes in overdrive when you have just one ear processing all the auditory information that you need. So that is, that's typically why people tend to leave you know, very in noisy situations. Again, they have an, they have a normal hearing ear on that side, mm-hmm. um, but it's so overwhelming and their brain is in overdrive that they just can't process anything any longer. And they're just not retaining information. They're not participating and they remove themselves. So I think that also improves when you get a cochlear implant because it's able to filter out the background noise mm-hmm. um, with the cochlear implant. And it's much more sophisticated than hearing aid technology. I'll, I'll say firsthand experience here. Cochlear implants do an amazing job with noise reduction features. And with the programming that the audiologist does, in addition to some features that you have access to in the cochlear nucleus smart app, it's tremendous and amazing what it can provide. So those two things, and especially listening at a distance, those are things that people report a significant benefit on quality of life. You know, with all of that comes improved quality of life. You're able to partake in family functions again because they're no longer overwhelming or overstimulating. And music, you know, while they have that fullness of sound again, you know, listening with just one ear, you know, that's okay. But Mm -hmm. you can get the surround sound. People want the surround sound. (laughs) And so that's what that brings back and improves as well. Right. So, um, that's, that's similar to what you were talking about. And again, um, when I say this, do not think I am suggesting a cochlear implant for auditory processing disorder, (laughs) but in auditory processing disorder, that's where they get overloaded. That's where people get overloaded in noisy situations because their brain isn't able to process all those auditory sounds coming in. So... So this has been a great discussion and we're so excited because Dr. Camacho is coming back for our second episode. Uh, in, and so please, you need to, uh, tune in for our next episode where she, we continued the discussion on what is a cochlear implant and is it right for you? Basically, when your hearing aid is not enough. Do we need to look at something else? So thank you so much for your time today. We can't wait to continue this conversation and just find out more of the wonderful knowledge that you have to share with the world. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time chatting with you today. I I really enjoyed this and I look forward to speaking with you again next time. Super. So now we're going to go to our section on tips and tricks. And since we have the advantage of having uh, Dr. Camacho here with us, can you give us a tip or a trick for those that might be wearing cochlear implants or maybe thinking about a cochlear implant? I think my tips and tricks would be just to work smarter, not harder. So if you want to stay with your amplification and you continue to struggle or you can quote unquote get by, 
with your amplification. If you have a remote microphone, use it. If you have access to captions, use it. Your brain is already working so hard to process the information. And so whether you're a hearing aid user or a cochlear implant user, that's my recommendation. Work smarter, not harder. You got accessories, use them. That's what they're there for. And who knows, you may actually end up picking something up that someone with normal hearing sensitivity might not be able to hear. So I call that deaf gain. Uh (laughs) great a new term yes that might be a topic for another episode oh definitely work smarter not harder love it use those accessories (laughs) we say that all the time though i think you had a lady the other day we couldn't use her accessories right exactly oh well technology is changing maybe in the next few years yes it's gonna (laughs) upgrade everything does so um our quote of the day i'm gonna use the one we've um, used this before but i love it and i think it's really apropos blindness cuts us off from things but deafness cuts us off from people and that's helen keller so great I would like to thank Dr. Camacho and Dr. Susan Schmidt for joining me today. And I would also like to thank you, our listeners, for always tuning in to our podcast. If you have any questions for us, please post them on our Facebook page or email us at questions at Arizona Balance at Arizona spelled out questions at arizonabalance.com and don't forget to hit subscribe as we are always talking about different topics and you don't want to miss any of our future episodes and for a free copy of dr day's book re-engage with life and family visit our website azbalanceandhearing.com so arizona is abbreviated azbalanceandhearing.com and just click the box requesting a free copy Or feel free to call our office at 602-265-9000, and you can request a free copy that way as well. Remember, hearing care is health care, and treating your hearing loss is the number one modifiable risk factor for reducing your risk of developing dementia. Treating your hearing loss has also been shown to reduce your risk of falls, decrease the experience of tinnitus, increase your social engagement and decrease depression. Don't put it off any longer. And I'd like to thank Robin, our producer and Dave Pratt, Star Worldwide Network for this lovely studio that we get to the privilege of recording in. And again, our listeners, we love to thank you for joining us. ABHA partnering with you to better balance, better hearing, better better life. Thank you for listening to the ABHA Listen and Learn podcast with Dr. Dana Day and Dr. Susan Schmidt. Join us next time as we discuss the latest issues related to hearing and balance healthcare. Plus, hear any of our past episodes on demand 24-7 on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.